Canticle 15 My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Moments ago, we prayed the prayer of a pregnant, unwed, poor, teenage Jewish girl. The Magnificat, this ancient prayer, is both Mary's song of joy as well as her cry for justice. My friends, Mary lived not just in a man's world, but she lived in a world where all women were treated like objects, possessions, property. Mary lived in a world where women were the property of men, property that could cook for men, property that could clean for men, property that could produce heirs for men, property that could serve as objects of pleasure for men, property that could be married off by men, Two other men. Mary lived in a world that was completely devoid of female consent. After all, why would men need to seek consent when it comes to the usage of their own property? Even in the Ten Commandments, Jewish wives, they are lumped together with a list of other household possessions that men outside of that household weren't supposed to covet. Another way of putting it, Mary had the same status as a man's house. She had the same status as a man's ox. She had the same status as a man's donkey. Not only was Mary oppressed because of her gender, but her people the Hebrew people were also marginalized because of their race. The Roman Empire had dominion over Israel, Mary's homeland. So her people lived as second-class citizens within their own country. 
Not only that, but Mary also lived amongst the poorest of the poor. We are told that when Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple for the purification rites required by Hebrew law right after Jesus was born, we're told that they made an offering of two doves or two pigeons. Now, the normal offering after the birth of a child would have been a lamb, but Leviticus makes a special exception for the poor. Birds were much cheaper to come by, and they could be offered in the lamb's place. So Mary and Joseph, the parents of the Messiah, the parents of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, could not afford a lamb, so they offered birds instead. My friends, Mary lived in a world where she had no rights. Why? Because property has no rights. Mary lived in a world where she had no voice. Why? Property has no voice. So much so that even Matthew's gospel feels the need to compensate for this cultural misogyny. For Matthew tells Joseph's side of the story, not Mary's. In Matthew's story, the angel comes to Joseph, not to Mary. The Lord reveals his plan to Joseph, not to Mary. Mary is little more than an afterthought in Matthew's gospel. But make no mistake about it, my friends. It was through and it was only through Mary's let it be that God brought salvation to the whole world. She was and she is the Theotokos, the mother of God. She was and she is the one who birthed the Christ child into this world. In her womb, God knit humanity and divinity together. In her womb, God knit heaven and earth together in her son. And when Mary said, let it be unto me according to thy word, she changed the entire course of human history, so much so that had she not said, let it be to God, 2,000 years ago, you and I, we would not be here today. The yes of this poor, unwed, pregnant, teenage Jewish girl 2,000 years ago has impacted all of our lives today. Mary saw the extent of this impact. She saw just how much every generation would call her blessed, and she cried out with joy. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My friends, have you ever experienced so much joy that it felt like this joy was exploding through your entire being? Have you ever experienced so much joy that it felt like it was emanating from the depths of who you are? This is the type of joy that Mary is singing about here, a joy that has transformed her through and through. But what is the source of her joy? Is it because she had a mystical experience, a profound spiritual encounter? Is it because she had a vision of the angel Gabriel? If you don't remember Luke's version of the story, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her that she would give birth to the Messiah. 
So is this angelic encounter what Mary's prayer is all about? Is it about the obvious high that she would have gotten after the heavens were opened before her very eyes and she was permitted to see and to talk to an angel? If you've never encountered an angel before, let me tell you this. It is an earth-shattering, mind-bending experience. One that changes you forever and your entire perception of reality even. One would think that you would want to write about it, right? (laughs) And sing about it. But here's the thing. Mary doesn't mention her angelic vision even once in her prayer. Meaning, this heavenly angelic vision is not the source of her joy. So what's the source of her joy then? Mary is overjoyed because God has looked with favor upon someone like her. It is because God has met her in her poverty. It is because God has met her in her lowliness. It is because she discovered that our God is a God who hears the cries of pregnant, unwed, poor, racially persecuted teenagers. It is because she discovered that our God is a God who doesn't treat human beings like objects. Our God doesn't treat people like pieces of property. Mary is overjoyed because probably for the very first time in her entire life, she was given the option to say, No. Her let it be unto me according to my word just as easily could have been. Let it not be. My friends, it wasn't the ecstasy of some heavenly angelic vision that caused Mary to sing out for joy. No, it was because God showed her that the world could be put to rights through people like her. Justice could be brought to the world through people like her. It is through a pregnant, unwed, poor Jewish teenage girl that God has shown the strength of his arm. It is through Mary's lowliness that God continues to scatter the proud in their conceit, and he continues to cast down the mighty from their thrones. Don't believe me? Question for you. When was the last time you sang a song of praise to Herod the Great, or Pontius Pilate, or Caesar, the enthroned mighty ones of Mary's own day? Who still sings their praises? Yeah, no one. But after 2,000 years, we are still singing Mary's praises, and we're still praying her song, are we not? And how much more are we singing the praises of her son? Herod died. Pontius Pilate died. Caesar died. But Mary's son's tomb is still empty. Alleluia. Alleluia. And for those of us who pray morning and evening prayer every day, we pray Mary's song every day single day. And our sisters and brothers in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they sing of Mary, praising her for being more honorable than the cherubim, more glorious beyond compare 
than the seraphim. Once Mary was marginalized, once Mary was oppressed, but now, now she is more honorable than the angel Gabriel who visited her. Now she is more glorious beyond compare than the angels who unceasingly cry out to God, Holy, 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 Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. What most people today don't tend to realize and to notice about the Magnificat is just how earthy, just how this-worldly it is. My friends, Mary's song, it's not at all about how her son would grow up to save the souls of the people who put their faith in him someday. Mary's song is not about how her son would get people into heaven after they die if they believed in him. No, her song is about how through her son, the hungry would be filled with good things in this life and the lowly would be lifted up in this life. Mary's vision is not of the salvation of the individual soul. Her vision is one of cosmic justice. Hers is a vision not of people getting into heaven and the afterlife. No, hers is a vision of heaven breaking loose on earth already in this life. Mary's prayer ends with these words. For God has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. What does she mean by this? What is this promise of mercy that God made to Abraham? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Yes, yes, a part of this promise of mercy was that Father Abraham would have many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all bless the Lord, right? But the point of God's promise to Abraham, my friends, wasn't that he would have lots of kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids and so on and so forth. Yes, yes, Abraham did father a rather large family with an extensive genealogy, which according to St. Paul, you and I have been grafted into whenever we respond to God in the same way that Abraham did, whenever we respond to God in faith. But the point of God's promise to Abraham was that all of the peoples on earth would be blessed through him and through his people. That is the vocation of the people of God, to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. That is the life that God has called each and every single one of us to. My friends like Mary, you have a purpose. You have a mission. It is to birth the Christ child in the manger of your heart and then to bless the world around you. My friends, this promise of mercy, it's not mainly about how God has been merciful to us. No, this promise of mercy is that God would transform us into a merciful people 
that God would break the cycles of injustice and brokenness and death all around us, and that we would truly bless the people in our lives. That's the promise. In the end, Mary's vision is quite radical, is it not? We get to participate in the unleashing of heaven on earth. And Mary envisions a world where we all have learned how to treat each other in the same way that God has treated her. Mary envisions a world where we all do unto others what God has done unto us. Mary envisions a world where we empathize with rather than cause one another's pain. Mary envisions a world where we bless rather than curse each other. Mary envisions a world where we lift one another up rather than doing what we do today, tearing each other down. Mary envisions a world where every single person is treated equally. Mary envisions a world where we bless others in the same way that God has blessed her. Another way of phrasing it, Mary envisions a world where we bring each other joy in the same way that God has brought us joy. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath magnified me, and holy is his name.